It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Transfer Portal Tracker, the second window, the spring window, is officially closed. What movements has the Tennessee Volunteers been having in the second window of the Transfer Portal? That's and a whole lot more coming up on a busy Tuesday. Locked On Balls. You are Locked On Balls, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome into it. Happy Tuesday, and this is Locked On Balls with your host, Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys uh, being here, as always, on the show. Shout out, everydayers. This show is for you because we're going to get into some of those questions. Mailbag edition of the show, Twitter Tuesday. That is coming up in segment number three. But if you want to become an everydayer, you know how to do it. Subscribe to Locked On Balls on the YouTube channel. We've got just a couple more and then we're getting to 7,000. We need we need to make that push to 8,000 before the season starts. And, of course, downloading and following us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, you know, Google Play, wherever the case may be. Appreciate you guys for uh, doing that each and every day and helping the show grow. Got a couple things we're going to get into here in segment one. Really excited about it. Tennessee had another player in the transfer portal. We'll kind of recap this second window in regards for Tennessee and some of the bigger news from around the SEC. And I want to get into uh, over at CBSSports.com. Uh, some of their personalities did a in honor, obviously, of the uh, NFL draft, fictional coaches draft. And I just thought it was fun. I know it has nothing to do with Tennessee, and I know it has nothing to do with kind of what we do on this podcast here. But I want to go over some of their uh, their fictional coaches that they drafted to their teams because I just think it's kind of funny. In segment two, Jesse Simonton over at on three, he had his 2023 quarterback unit rankings, basically. Which quarterback rooms across the country you know, stand the tallest? Where does Tennessee stack up in that? And then we'll get into your mailbag questions in segment number three. Uh, but first, Cam Miller, a redshirt freshman, has entered the transfer portal. Came to Tennessee from the Memphis area, uh, part of the signing class in 2021, I believe, or 2023, or excuse me, 2022. And uh, he came to Tennessee as a wide receiver, but ultimately... Um, he, he switched over to the defensive side of the football at safety because that was kind of the quickest path to the field, whether it be special teams, whether it be safety, whatever the case may be. It didn't see much playing time whatsoever at the University of Tennessee. And after spring practice, uh, Cam Miller has jumped into the transfer portal. He becomes the second player here in this second window for the University of Tennessee to jump in the portal, joining defensive lineman Amari McNeil. Now, Tennessee has not brought anybody in from the transfer portal as well. The portal closed on, on April the 30th, and that doesn't mean Tennessee won't, but essentially if you're going to put your name in the portal between April 15th and April 30th, that is that window. So you can be in the portal. So like take Cam Miller, for instance. He is in the portal now. He doesn't have to pick a school between those dates, but you just have to submit your name, and then, of course, you can uh, decide where you're going to go from there. So Tennessee hasn't brought in, brought in anybody from the transfer portal it uh, doesn't mean they won't, but uh, I don't really anticipate it right now at this point in time. They've made a couple offers. They kind of targeted the offensive line a little bit, but some of those targets have already committed elsewhere. But it's Cam Miller and Amari McNeil who have left the program, entered their name in the transfer portal. Uh, Miller became public on a Monday afternoon. So uh, that is that. If you look around the SEC, and some, I mean, it's really it's not been a very it's not been a very busy um, you know point. Our time for the SEC 
in terms of you know putting you know, drawing guys in from the transfer portal this go around, right? Again, it's a short window, and mostly you jump in the transfer portal right after the season is over during that 45-day window in December. You take your visits, you sign, you commit, all that type of stuff. You get enrolled in school, and then you're there to do school and, of course, spring practice. So that is the window that you want to get in. So we knew that this would be a slower you know, type of window, not just for Tennessee, but across all of college football, uh, but one notable name that is kind of big in regards to the SEC that happened during this window was Tyler Buckner transferring from Notre Dame to Alabama. And of course, he is going to compete and trying to take over for Bryce Young with Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow. Now, Tyler Buckner coming from Notre Dame, he spent two seasons with new Alabama offensive coordinator Tommy Reese. So there's kind of that connection there. I don't think Tyler Buckner is going to be guaranteed a starting spot. In fact, I think it'll be very difficult to come in after spring practice to come in during the summer and try to win the starting job by fall. It's been done before. Look at uh, Joe Milton back in 2021. I mean, that it's happened before, but uh, you got two other guys who are in the system, two other guys. Well, I say in the system, it's going to be a new offensive system. So, uh, but there are at least 15 practices ahead. And of course they're in the Alabama program. They've seen a little bit of time and that being uh, Ty Simpson, but more so than that, Jalen Milrow. I think Alabama's starting quarterback position is completely wide open, but they did go and add another one to that competition, and Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame, that was made apparent late last week. This is Nick Saban on ESPN College Game Day Radio ahead of the NFL Draft this past weekend. Quote, Tyler was certainly a guy that was going to be a starter last year at Notre Dame, got injured, played in the bowl game, played really well. So we thought he would add a lot of competition, and we think he's got the right kind of character and attitude to be a positive influence on our team. Uh, he goes on to say towards the end of the interview that ultimately uh, wanted to give our quarterbacks in our program every opportunity to win the job in spring practice, so now we're adding some more competition. So really, the only unless I'm missing something, the only big-time splash in the transfer portal SEC-wide was bringing in a potential starting quarterback for Alabama, but at most uh, or at minimum, a guy that's going to compete with Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson and Tyler Buckner from Notre Dame. So it's been quiet. We obviously thought it was going to be quiet, and that is a okay because uh, the big movement was already done during the first window. But Tennessee says goodbye to two players, Ken Miller and Amari McNeil, who entered the transfer portal during this time. All right, let's go over to CBSSports.com. This has nothing to do with Tennessee. This has nothing to do with the SEC. This has nothing to do with really anything. I just thought it was kind of funny, kind of cool, uh, in honor of the NFL draft happening this past weekend. The personalities over at CBSSports.com did a fictional coaches draft, and I thought it was really, really cool. So I'm going to... Name some fictional coaches, and I don't know if you, a lot of you guys read and catch up with the guys over at CBSSports.com. I think they do a pretty neat, neat job. But this is kind of who they selected in their drafts. Uh, here are the first-round selections. Chip Patterson went with Lou Brown from Major League. We all know who that is. Uh, you've got uh, Jack Crosby, who took Gordon Bombay from the Mighty Ducks. Um, a couple other first-round picks. Eric Taylor from Friday Night Lights. He was drafted by Tom Fernelli. Uh, Ted Lasso was taken by Barrett Salee. You've got uh, Norman Dale from Hoosiers was taken by David Cobb. A couple other noteworthy names that I thought were kind of funny. This is Chip Patterson's uh, rounds two through five. I think they went five rounds. Uh, Chubbs Patterson from Happy Gilmore. Uh, Jackie Moon from Semi-Pro. <laughs> Darren Goddard from Blades of Glory. We go down to Jack Crosby. Uh, a couple other notables that he had. Really, he's probably got the most unnotable 
uh, team there. Morris Buttermaker from the Bad News Bears, of course, that's noteworthy. Um, Adam Adam Silverstein went Jimmy McGinty from The Replacements. Oh, man, that The Replacements is my favorite sports movie of all time, and that is a serious hot take because, I mean, it's not one of those big-time popular sports movies that you want to reference, but my favorite sports movie of all time is The Replacements. A little Shane Falco action, glue guy, heart guy. Um, love that movie, and Jimmy McGinty coaching that team was was pure comedy. Uh, Eddie Franklin from Eddie and uh, Nate Scarborough from The Longest Yard. Tom Fernelli went um, Jimmy Duncan from A League of Their Own. Okay, that's a good one. Hayden Fox from Coach. Uh, Harry, let's see here. Ernie Pensusum, I can't say his last name, but Ernie from Cheers, who literally was named Coach the first couple of seasons. Uh, that is a really, really good one. Barrett Salee went Coach Klein from The Waterboy. Um, Christian Hollings from Rad. Let's see here. David Cobb went Bud Kilmer from Varsity Blues. Uh, Danny O'Shea from The Little Giants. Okay. Um, Sal Martinelli from Rookie of the Year. That's a good one. So uh, kind of a fun exercise, and I read through this uh, you know, Monday afternoon before I recorded, and I just thought it was kind of funny. Who would be your fictional coach that you want to be coaching your team? Uh, Dave McGintis would be you know, pro- probably up there for me. I, I-, I love – or Jimmy McGinty, excuse me. Uh, Dave McGinnis is, of course, the color commentator for Titans Radio. Jimmy McGinty of their places would be up there. Eric Taylor from Friday Night Lights would be up there. Ted Lasso, obviously, has got to be up there, right? Um, you know, the, the guys who I wouldn't want to be coaching my team. Patches Ahulahan <laughs> from Dodgeball. Bud Kilmer 100% wouldn't want to be the coach of my team. Gosh, that'd be, that'd be awful. Um, and, and then, you know, so Jackie Moon probably wouldn't be the coach of my team. It'd be fun. But I wouldn't want Jackie Moon to be the coach of my team either. So I just kind of wanted to share that. I thought that was a fun little exercise they did over at CBSSports.com. And I thought you guys would uh, find it funny as well. Hey, when we come back, uh, unit quarterback rankings uh, across college football. Where does Tennessee stack up in that? It's an article over at On3 from Jesse Simonton. That is coming up next right here on Locked on Vols. But, hey, I want to remind you guys about a proud sponsor of the show, and that is FanDuel Sportsbook. Make your fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. They have great promotions every single day over at FanDuel Sportsbook. It's it's on a safe and secure app that you can use from the palm of your hand, and you can get paid instantly. You don't have to wait around for the end-of-the-week payouts or anything like that that you might see on other books, but at FanDuel Sportsbook, you get paid instantly as well. There's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than over at America's number one sportsbook already through the first round of the NBA playoffs, so don't miss out. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, especially during March. Your eyes are on the road, but the driver in front of you has both eyes on their bracket. Their sudden braking puts you in a 16-car pileup that's anything but sweet. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this is worse than a busted bracket. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability, savings vary. 
All right, guys, welcome back into it. Segment number two of your Tuesday edition of Locked On Vols. we got the mailbag edition of the show that is coming up in segment number three. Appreciate you guys for being here. Shout out to you everydayers, and we'll get to Josh Ward for a little Ward Wednesday and more on your Tennessee Volunteers. That is coming up on tomorrow's show. All right, so Jesse Simonson over at On3 put out a 2023 quarterback unit rankings, and this is essentially, it's not a quarterback ranking, but it's a unit ranking. What about the quarterback rooms? across the SEC and across college football, which ones top to bottom are the strongest? Like Michael Penix and Jordan Travis, Sam Hartman, those guys would rank kind of high, and he uses Jesse uses those as uh, uh, examples um, of, of ranking high on a quarterback power ranking list. But in terms of the quarterback room at their respective schools, maybe not so much. Uh, but what about those rooms? Well, and leading it off, he's got in the top five, he's got... Uh, one team from the SEC, two future SEC teams in the top five, but he's got USC leading the way um, because, of course, you have Caleb Williams, who's arguably the best quarterback in the country. Behind him, you have Miller Moss, and you have Malachi Nelson, who's one of the top quarterbacks in the class of 2023 who just signed with uh, Southern Cal. Plus, Miller Moss is a former blue-chip recruit as well. Uh, Jesse Simonson believes top to bottom. USC has the strongest quarterback room in college football. Number two is from the SEC, and this is LSU. And uh, it makes a whole lot of sense, right? Because you got Jaden Daniels coming back, started, did a good job in 2021. You have Garrett Nussmeyer behind him, who could be better than him when it's all said and done, and came in and threw the ball really well at points in times last year, especially in the SEC championship. Uh, of course, they were playing from behind. But you know those two guys, two really strong options and make that quarterback room look really good because I think Garrett Nussmeyer could probably start at other places around the country. Number three is Texas, and this makes sense as well. You got Quinn Ewers, who is the starter, obviously, and played well before injury in 2022. You have Malik Murphy, who... Um, you know, is, is a pretty capable backup. And then you're going to throw in Arch Manning to that mix as well. And understandably, you know, Arch Manning didn't look great in the, in the spring game, but again, you always got to take spring games with, um, you know, a, a grain of salt, especially early enrollees who are just 15 practices in same for Nico and Maliava, right? Uh, but they've got, he's got Texas listed as the third best quarterback room in America led by Quinn Ewers. Number four is going to be North Carolina. Drake may, of course, he's in that conversation with, Caleb Williams, and if you would have added Caleb Williams and Drake May to this past year's quarterback draft class, I'd be intrigued to see the pecking order there. But <clears throat> excuse me, Drake May is um, you know w- along with Connor Harrell and Tad Hudson uh, make up a pretty decent quarterback room according to Jesse Simonton. The last one he gives, and then of course we'll get to Tennessee, who's in the best of the rest category, is Oklahoma. You um, you have Dylan Gabriel. That's uh, is is back for his second season to be the starting quarterback in Norman. You add in five-star freshman Jackson Arnold, who is a guy that's going to be playing in Oklahoma for years to come. That's a really solid one-two option as well. What about the best of the rest? Because there's still you know two teams, you know one including Tennessee and another from the SEC that I'm just like, where are you on this list? Right, the first team that Jesse mentions in the best of the rest category is one of those teams I'm talking about. It's Georgia. Uh, you say goodbye to Stetson Bennett, who you know won back-to-back national championships, the former walk-on, obviously one of the greatest stories in college football. You know, just got drafted by the Rams, yada yada. But Stetson Bennett's gone, and you're going to upgrade from a talent perspective, in my opinion. 
Uh, you got Carson Beck, who feels like he's been there forever as the backup quarterback to Stetson Bennett. You have Brock Vandergriff. You have Gunnar Stockton. All those guys, former five-star prospects. And the fact that Kirby has kept all those guys without entering the transfer portal just baffles me. Gunnar Stockton even said a couple of weeks ago that he was going to sit there, think about it, pray about it, decide if he needs to go in the transfer portal. And at that stage in the game, I mean, you got to credit Kirby for recruiting, but like if a guy wants to leave Georgia, if you're like Gunnar Stockton, who's the new guy in the room, it's like, well, I mean, yeah, I just want to play, right? But he decided to stay and he's going to compete with Brock Vandergriff and Carson Beck to be the next quarterback. And it's probably going to be Carson Beck. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, that is a, a loaded quarterback room in terms of talent, now not in terms of experience. And then comes in Tennessee. You have Tennessee that has Joe Milton, the physical upside, the physical ability, uh, parallels to that of Will Levis and to that of Anthony Richardson. You know, and you saw how NFL draft executives and front office personnel and coaches and GMs just salivated at Will Levis and, and Anthony Richardson throughout this draft process. Will Levis slid to the second round, but Richardson was picked fourth overall. Incredibly high ceilings. Um, Joe Milton kind of falls in, in that category. Um, you know, Joe Milton hadn't played consistently since the beginning of the 2021 season and since parts and times of the 2020 season when he was at Michigan. So it's going to be a big year for Joe Milton as he is the starting quarterback for Tennessee, uh, all intents and purposes right now. Can he find some consistency? Uh, can he show out? Can he make some big plays? Can he limit turnovers? If he can do that, again, he's going to be salivated about as an NFL draft prospect you know, leading into that phase of the system. But of course you have Joe Milton, who is a backup now turned starter, but he's an older guy and he's started at two different power five programs before. And then you add in Nico Imaliaba, who's the number one player in the country, according to on three for the class of 2023 showed flashes in spring practice has all the tools and the ability um, and, and the body top to be a successful quarterback at the power five level. Tennessee's one, two option is really good. That's why they're considered the best of the rest. But after that, you don't really have another option. Uh, you have uh, Gasson Moore, who was at US UCF with Josh Heupel before he came to Tennessee, and he was a walk-on and fall in there. He's your third-string quarterback, and then, and then you have Navy Shuler as the other quarterback in that room. So uh, Tennessee a little short-handed on quarterbacks, but it's tough to get a quarterback to want to transfer in here via the transfer portal. They would take one, but it's kind of tough because, again, you have Joe, who's the starter, you have Nico, who's going to be the backup, and then it's like, well, why do I want to go to Tennessee? But Tennessee is certainly in this conversation as well, and Jesse, Jesse Simonson uh, points to that. UCLA is considered in this uh, conversation with uh, Colin Schiel, uh, Ethan Gaber Garbers, and then Dante Moore, who uh, went to UCLA, signing from this past class. Oregon is in this conversation as well with Bo Nix um, and Austin Novosad. So I thought that was interesting. Tennessee didn't make his top five, and it'd be kind of hard to argue with um, especially LSU. I get it with Texas. Um, I honestly, I get it with Oklahoma. Maybe they get a sl slit in there instead of um, North Carolina. That'd probably be the team that kind of boots them out of this conversation because you really do have a solid option with, with one Joe Milton and two with Nico Imaliaba. But nonetheless, thought that was interesting. Wanted to pass it along here on the show. That is Jesse Simonson over at On3 2023 quarterback unit rankings. Uh, with USC and LSU leading the way, Tennessee in the best of the rest category. Hey, when we come back, we're going to get into your Twitter Tuesday questions. It's a mailbag edition of the show. I will take time and answer your questions when we return right here on Lockdown Balls. The NCAA tournament is almost here. 
and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, guys, we got a final segment left here of this Tuesday edition of Locked On Vols. I'm Eric Hamm. Appreciate you guys being here. That time of the week where we take your questions here for a little Twitter Tuesday, and we'll start off with Randy. Hey, Eric, just curious about Santiago Vescovi returning for a final season with Tennessee basketball. The talk there was some NIL incentives, but how would that work since he's not a U.S. citizen? I thought that was prohibited by the NCAA. Yeah, Randy, you're exactly right. Um, there are you got to be a United States citizen to take advantage of name, image, and likeness uh, per you know what the NCAA has set out right now. Now, I will say there are loopholes. There are loopholes for uh, foreign student athletes to make uh, money off their name, image, and likeness. I have asked around, and honestly, I don't. I don't really have a clue what that loophole is. I know that if you go back home and then do like a social media post or do a commercial or, or whatever the case may be, you know, that is a way to do it. But like for Santi's case, like he hadn't gone home. So I don't really know what that loophole is. I have asked, I tried to figure it out and uh, you know, whatever I got back judging off, I could say it on this podcast, but there are loopholes in there and, they, and they've taken advantage of it. But you know, name image of likeness, I do believe was a main, not a main reason, but a good reason why Santi is back uh, finished on un, un, unfinished business. And, and uh, obviously he, he also has a girlfriend who, attends the University of Tennessee. I think all those factors took into a, to play of Santiago Vespi coming back. So I wish I had a better answer for you, but there are loopholes and there are, I mean, you had Oscar Sheboy who made a ton of money last year and he's not American either. Let's go to Silos. Uh, is it safe to say that Josh Heupel is a quarterback guru? Hooker was the fifth quarterback to be picked in the draft. He had two great seasons at UT. Do you think quarterback prospects are seeing what he is doing and developing? I know we got the number one quarterback in Nico, but how much of that was from NIL? Uh, yeah, I think you know a big, you know, a big part of Nico Iamaliava coming to Tennessee was for opportunities and name image likeness. I think you'd be a bit naive if you didn't believe that to be the case. I do not think that's the only reason he's here in Tennessee. I mean, he really hit it off with Joey Halsley, really hit it off with Josh Heupel, and I think uh, a lot of that has to do with you know you had. Quentin Nelson and, and, you know, Dante Moore and Arch Manning and Nico. And yet all these quarterbacks for the class of 2023 who were really good players, but Tennessee channeled in on their quarterback early and they went all in on Nico and they didn't really pay attention to anybody else. And I, I think uh, Nico recognized that and appreciated that. I think that is a, a reason why he's here at the university of Tennessee as well, but I'm not as naive to believe that name image likeness didn't play a factor in it. The opportunities there now, as far as Josh Hopple being a quarterback guru, I mean, look, stats don't lie, right? I mean, look at every single stop that he's been at. Look at his quarterbacks at UCF. Look at his quarterbacks at Oklahoma. Look at his quarterbacks at Missouri. I mean, they're draft picks. Uh, you know, Sam Bradford was a Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, Drew Locke was a high draft pick when he was in Missouri. I mean, look at the production at UCF, and then look at Hendon Hooker now. And there'll be a question later on in the Mailbag Podcast about translating to the NFL, and I'll, I'll touch on that in a moment. But uh, Heupel knows the position. He played the position at a high level. Um, he won a whole lot of big games on big stages, so I absolutely believe that his ability is to connect with quarterbacks, coach that position up, and get the best out of them in the uh, scheme that he has, and I think he's doing a, a pretty good job in that regard. Uh, we will move on now. We'll go to James. James says, after a couple of great weekends, what is our postseason baseball outlook? How much work still needs to be done to host a regional? Is hosting a super regional still achievable, or will we need help? 
I assume at this point, boring a collapse and NCAA tournament bid is a lot safer than it was entering Vandy Week. Yes, yes, yes to all that. Um, Tennessee is sitting at 11 SEC wins right now. I think if they get to 14 wins, and as long as you have a top 40 RPI, which Tennessee will, and Tennessee does right now, despite the horrendous loss to Tennessee Tech a few weeks ago that did hurt them a little bit, uh, they will be okay. I think 14 is good enough for Tennessee, and that's just three you know, that's just three more wins and nine opportunities. I think Tennessee will get that no problem. Now, hosting a regional is on the table at this point. I think hosting a regional, 16 and 14 in the Southeastern Conference will do it with a top 30 RPI. Um, if you continue to win those games, the RPI, which are at 23rd right now, again, the RPI will take care of itself. You want to get to 17 to really help you out. But I do believe hosting a regional is on the table for sure. But again, you want to take things one step at a time. Now, a super regional to be a top eight seed, um, I think, you, again, you just need to continue winning. 17, 18 games in Southeastern Conference play, um, and you're at 11 wins right now, plus a run at Hoover to kind of make that possible. But it is on the table. Uh, Kendall Rogers over at D1 Baseball was asked that on a, on a mailbag podcast they were doing uh, on Monday, and uh, he said it's absolutely on the table. It's you, know, you got work to do, but to be a top eight seed and to host a super absolutely it's on the table so uh one thing at a time right but uh 100 the postseason outlook is completely different now heading into vanderbilt week heading into vandy week you were uh, five and ten in sec play and now leaving mississippi state two weekends later you are 11 and 10 in sec play that is six straight wins after back-to-back sweeps seven straight wins overall uh tennessee baseball is doing well got to go on the road and try to tame a crazy little uh out um Georgia team in Athens, kind of all over the map, and uh, then come back home, take care of business against Kentucky, and then hit the road against South Carolina. Uh, let's go to Braden. Braden says, who are your top five wideouts in the SEC heading into the 2023 football season? Uh, okay. I went through here, and here are the ones that came to mind first. Um, I don't necessarily know if I'd rank them in this specific order, but these are the five names that came first to me. Brew McCoy, obviously, for Tennessee. Malik Neighbors of LSU. Remember, it was supposed to be Keyshawn Booty, but it was Malik Neighbors that made all the headlines last year. Dominic Lovett going from Missouri to Georgia is another one. Ja'Cory Brooks, who was so productive, yet overshadowed Alabama last year. And then Antoine Wells Jr. of South Carolina. Those are the five names that came to mind first. And then after I... I gave it some more thought, and I went and did some research just a little bit. Some other wide receivers who have been productive coming into uh, more of a starring role in 2023 and some names you should know that might show up on, you know, those preseason fourth-team all-conference lists and everything, you know, third-team, all that type of stuff. Will Shepard, Ricky Parshall over at Florida, Will Shepard's at Vanderbilt, Barryon Brown of Kentucky, and Luther Brown, the former five-star wide receiver who's at Missouri uh, those are lists, but I'd, I'd go with Malik Neighbors, Dominic Lovett, Brew McCoy, Ja'Cory Brooks, and Antoine Wells Jr. is kind of my my top five. And I don't think I'm missing anybody. Maybe I am. If I am, I'm sorry, but I think those are the main five. I uh, got another question here from Braden. What is your take on the NFL GM saying that Hyatt is a one-trick pony? Pretty wild the, that the Bolitnikov Award winner goes in the third round. Uh, Yeah, well, I mean, to... To the defense of the people saying that, the way Hyatt has been used at Tennessee, and even when 
it was uh, Jim Chaney and it was you know Jeremy Pruitt during that first year. It's been used as a vertical threat. They did not use Jalen Hyatt the way they used Valus Jones. They did not use Jalen Hyatt the way that they used Brew McCoy. So again, I, I'm not saying that's all he can do, but according to the tape, you know the highlights. I mean that that that's a lot of his game. I do think he's a good route runner. I've seen him run routes in practice and and underneath routes in games that didn't go for touchdowns. I think he's good in that. I think he can you know hit the comebacks and the curls and the hitches and and all that type of stuff. But to the credit or to the defense rather of the people who are saying that, I mean turn on the highlight tapes and and that's what you get from Jalen Hyatt the majority of his Tennessee career. All right, let's go to I think we got one more here in the DM. Let's go to Ross. Ross says the Lions GM suggesting that. One of the reasons Hooker slipped to the third round was questions about the offense. What impacts do you think this will have on quarterback recruiting in the future? And does Hooker have to become an elite-level NFL quarterback in order to overcome that stigma and legitimize Heibel's offense? It's a good question. Um, kind of goes in relation on what we were talking about with Jalen Hyatt. I, I mean, I, I know there are some, but the majority of the prospects that I talk to in the recruiting process, they want to come to a school that will develop them and put them in a, put them give them an opportunity to be drafted. I don't hardly ever talk to anybody that says, "Hey, I got to go first round. I got to go first round. I got to go first round." They just want to be developed and to be given the opportunity to become a draftable player. What Josh Heupel does with quarterbacks, one hundred percent, puts you in that category, one hundred percent. Now, to overcome that stigma a little bit, I do believe you're going to need a quarterback to go and just completely ball out. Um, doesn't mean that. You know, they got to be bad. Doesn't mean the Hendon Hooker's got to go be an all pro or whatever. Um, but, you know, Hendon Hooker to go and kind of overcome that stigma, if you will, I think that will help. Now, I doesn't. I, I do not think that that hurts Josh Hypo or Tennessee in recruiting. I don't. I, I 100% don't. But the whole Hypo system, quarterback system, all that type of stuff, it will follow quarterbacks from the University of Tennessee. It will. Point blank, it will. Um, but I don't think that that's going to, until someone, you know, you know, completely balls out at the next level. But I don't believe that that is going to hurt Tennessee in recruiting whatsoever. All right, let's go to, we got one on the YouTube channel. We actually got two questions from one guy. This is Rob. You mentioned the 2020 head coach and how he would meddle with the offense. Can you elaborate more on this? Yeah, I mean, nothing is like on the record. I mean, none of this was ever said in press conference setting. This is just kind of, you know, reporter. You hear things, you talk to people and everything. Um, uh, Jeremy Pruitt was a control freak. He wanted to control everything. That's why he fired his defensive line coach in the middle of the fourth game of the season, or right after the fourth game of the season that year. Um, he wanted to have his hand in everything, and I think as a successful head coach, look at Josh Heupel. He's got to know what's going on, but Josh Heupel doesn't meddle with defense because Josh Heupel is a quarterback's coach, an offense coach. Jeremy Pruitt knows defense, and he's a great assistant coach. I mean, just look at his track record. You can hate him right now, but Jeremy Pruitt knows defense, and he's coached at the highest levels and won national championships as part of staffs. You know, Jeremy Pruitt doesn't need to be meddling with offense, but I think he did a little bit. Also, go look at Jim Chaney throughout his career, okay? Jim Chaney is a damn good offensive coach. He's a damn good offensive coordinator. That was not Jim Chaney in 2020. I mean, I mean, just go look at the stats. Look at all the players he's coached, the games he's won, his stops at Georgia, his stops all the other places. I mean, uh Purdue and Drew Brees. I mean, I mean, look like Nathan Peterman. I'm not Drew Brees. Nathan Peterman's the one I was saying. He turned Nathan Peterman's career around. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that he's done a really, really good job. I think he did coach uh, Drew Brees too. I, I can't remember. Anyway, 
Uh, Jim Chaney's a good offense coach, and that was not Jim Chaney's offense in 2020, um, at least calling plays and into that stuff. Uh, let's go to Rob. He's got one more question. What do football players do this time of the year? What are their days like? What happens between now and they come back for August? Well, right now they're finishing off uh, their spring semester. They've got classes. Then, of course, uh, we're now into May, so finals will be coming up. Uh, they will take those. They still have workouts right now. They go and lift. They have lifting sessions uh, and conditioning sessions with the strength conditioning staff. And they will take their test, and then they will go home. Some guys will stay here for May and take a, take a midterm class, uh, a shorter class. But the rest of the team will come back in June, and they will be in summer school, and they will start their official offseason you know, strength and conditioning program that will build up to fall camp. And so... Uh, that's kind of what it is right now. But right now, finishing up class, all that type of stuff. They have workouts. They have an assigned workout class or an assigned workout time and, and conditioning time that they still do that. But they're finishing up class. They will go home for a couple of weeks and then come back first of June, take summer classes, and continue on with that. And that'll lead them up to fall camp. All right. That is going to do it here for this edition of Locked On Vaults. Appreciate you guys, as always, for being here and sending in those questions and those comments, those concerns, whatever the case may be. Hashtag everydayers. Appreciate you guys. Become an everydayer. Show up back tomorrow for more Tennessee football content. Subscribe to Locked On Balls on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. That's Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff, Odyssey app. Uh, it does not go unnoticed. Really, really do appreciate you guys. All right. Uh, one more thing before I say goodbye. It was the Locked On Podcast Network Twitter account that posted this the other day. And uh, I wanted to share it with you guys. It says, um, last week marked the largest week in Locked On Podcast Network history for podcast listens and views. To our hosts around the network, their audiences, especially the everydayers, thank you for your support. Uh, I echo that so much. This Locked On uh, Podcast Company, the network continues to grow. I'm so privileged to have a special little small part of it. I talk to you guys about Tennessee every single day. But shout out to you guys. You guys are the best. I appreciate you guys for coming back for more. Hey, we'll come back for more tomorrow, Little Ward Wednesday, and a whole lot more here on your Tennessee Volunteers. This is Locked On Balls. The NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.